Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this time together. We thank you for your word, Lord, that we might see Jesus and that you would reveal yourself to us. And Lord, that where there is uh, doubt, that you instill in us faith. And Lord, where we struggle, that you would walk alongside us and guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is actually my favorite class the whole year. Um, it's, uh, I, I'm surprised that more adults uh, don't make their way in because you ask all the questions that they want to ask but are embarrassed to do it. And so uh, you uh, have submitted some questions anonymously, and uh, I'll do my best to answer them. And then if you have some follow-up, um, you know, you think, wait a minute, I need a little bit more than that, or what about this? You're allowed to do that, okay? And Palmer Kennedy is going to, uh, he's going to be the, the interviewer, and, and I'm the sucker. I mean, the, the, the guy answering the questions. So. Okay. All right. Well, Dean Pearson, how do you know that you've accepted God into your heart and you will live eternally with God after you die? Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that um, the Bible does teach is that uh, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, then you have a relationship with God. Uh, the word that we often use to describe that uh, begins with S, set, ends in aved, saved, right? Uh, we talk about salvation a lot, like how do we, how do we get saved? So <clears throat> let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, why do we need to be saved? You know, what do we, what do we need to be saved from? I think that if most of us did an inventory of our lives, and we kind of reflected on, on how we are, um, we actually might think we're pretty good, especially if you have really bad friends. Uh, that makes you feel even better about yourself. And, uh, but uh, once you really, uh, and have you ever done something and your mom and your dad asked you, why did you do that? And what do you often respond with? I don't know, exactly, that, that didn't take longer. I, and, and there's a little bit of truth to that, isn't there? Like, you, you knew you weren't supposed to do it, but you found yourself doing it. Well, that's, you're getting it. So you need to be saved because of your natural predisposition to do things that you know that you're not supposed to do, right? And it's not just, if I could just control myself, if I could just be uh, more disciplined, in, in my life, then things would be better because eventually that stuff bubbles up again, doesn't it? So you, you've been the best brother or sister on the face of the earth uh, for at least three days, and, uh, and then on day four you find that your sister has stolen your sweater, uh, or you find that your brother has taken something uh, of yours and broken it. Well, uh, it's, it's hard to keep it under cool at that moment in time, right? But if you think about it objectively, it's a sweater. It's an object. You know, what's, what's the big deal? But uh, we don't like anybody infringing or trespassing on us. And so we get really upset by it uh, because we think that we rule the world. Uh, so that's what we're being saved from because we can live our way or we can live God's way. And God, as our king, um, makes us his subjects. But more than that, we're raised, we're actually become his sons and his daughters, and we reign with him. Right. So the means by which this happens is a lot of times people will talk about accepting Jesus in your heart. Have you ever heard that, if you accept Jesus in your heart? Uh, that's true to an extent. So that needs to happen. There needs to come a point in your life 
where you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But, and then you appropriate that faith for yourself. Now, I don't want you to think, on the one hand, oh, well, if, that's, if I just pray the prayer, then I'm in. Uh, and on the other hand, I don't want you to think that you have to pray that prayer five billion times, right? Because if you listen real closely to the words of our communion service, we say that Jesus Christ was a once and for all sacrifice, right? Once. Jesus didn't die over and over and over and over again for us. But the moment that you begin to feel like maybe Jesus isn't in my heart right now, you need to think of Jesus and what he's done for you and how he's proved his love for you. All right, so that is, uh, when you ask Jesus into your heart, that's great because that needs to happen. But after that, when you feel like you're not much of a Christian or when you struggle with your faith, um, think upon Jesus and what he's done for you. Don't try to think about your feelings. Right? Don't, don't navel gaze. Don't, uh, because, you know, one of the things about feelings is that they, they'll lead you astray too. There's a wonderful hymn in the church and uh, the hymn writer says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So if we're looking for our feelings to give us some sort of confirmation uh, of God's love for us, that's going to let us down, right? Because think about it. You could have, let's say something very sad happens to you in the morning. Would that ruin your day? Yeah, it would taint everything in the day. Uh, and so it's really hard for us when we struggle with our own emotions to get any objectivity, to be able to step back from things and say, this is actually what's happening. But our feelings really do cloud us. All right, next. This is, this is a pretty easy one. Oh, good. So, yeah. Does God still love people who are of different religions? Yeah, that's it. Like one. he loves us. Yeah, it's mm. very simple. Yeah. Okay, so what does John 3.16 say? For God. Yeah. You got the important, you got it. Yeah. For God so loved the world, right? So what, is that, what does that tell us? Who does God love? The world, right? Does that mean Birmingham, Alabama fans, right? Auburn fans? Yeah, I like the yes uh, coming from over here. Uh, no, it, it means that God does love everybody, which is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, that he might uh, save them and make them children uh, of God. Um, so let's talk about this, because uh, behind the question, it's, it's, it's a good question. So what about people of, of other religions, right? Well, one of the things that God's Word tells us in Romans uh, chapter 1 is that uh, everyone will be able, uh, there won't be anybody that, that with an excuse as to why they didn't understand God's mercy and grace. Now, I don't know how that's going to work out because the one thing I do know is that if God is just and God is merciful, whatever decision He makes on the judgment day is righteous. And nobody's going to be saying, wait a minute, that's not fair. In fact, it'll be one of the few moments in the world where something was totally fair. Right. So, so too, you know, it's not about how sincerely you, I talked about this very briefly in the sermon this morning, how sincerely you hold a belief. So just because you believe something intensely doesn't make it true, right? 
So, I mean, if you don't believe this, just read all the recruiting websites for SEC football, right? I mean, because people really believe intensely that like Mississippi State's gonna run the board next year. Yeah, right. Um, uh, that doesn't make it true. So, but what that ought to do is our hearts ought to love God's world in the same way that God loves his world and wants us to know Jesus Christ. And so if you're fearful that you have a friend or, um, or somebody on the other side of the world, uh, and it may not be just somebody of another religion, but just somebody who's nothing. You're going to run more and more into that where no one's going to say, I'm this, this, and this, but they're going to say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of nothing. Uh, if you love them the way that God loves them, tell them about Jesus. And I don't mean that you got to sit up on the street corner and say, turn or burn, right? That's not what we're talking about. But just to tell them, you know, your memory, the, the verse that, that we just talked about, um, when they're struggling or when that God opens up that avenue of conversation, tell them, do you know that God loves you so much that he gave his son Jesus uh, so that in him you might have eternal life, right? So there ought to be a real motivation for us to tell the world about, about Jesus, which is really intimidating and, and can be hard for us. All right, next. How should I feel after confirmation? Should I feel different? You should feel relieved uh, is how you should feel. Yeah. Nothing magical is going to happen to you, okay? Uh, there is uh, this, I don't know where it comes from, but, uh, you know, people will often say things like, the bishop is going to confirm you. The bishop is not going to confirm you. That's not what happens. Confirmation is when you stand up in front of the congregation and the bishop, who normally isn't with us on Sunday, right? Why is he not with us on normal Sundays? Because he's what? Yeah, he's at, right, he's at other churches. So the bishop represents to us the church, right? The church. And so he stands and witness to your testimony of who Jesus Christ is. So you're going to answer a bunch of questions, but the three big ones are, uh, do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? And you'll say, I do, right? Uh, and uh, you'll also ask, do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? Uh, I do. So you'll, you'll make those, so really in a sense, you're confirming yourself, right? You're confirming your faith. And then what happens is you kneel down and the bishop prays for you that you would go from strength to strength in your love for Jesus uh, would grow. But it's not like there are magic hands that are going to catch your hair on fire or anything like that. Um, you're going you're gonna to be okay. So if you're looking for something magical to happen, I mean, I mean it, it may be that God supernaturally works through something. I mean, you, you may actually uh, feel something, but, but I don't want you to think it's simply because you're being confirmed and that's a universal thing. All right. Uh, next question. Is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? Yes. So one of the things that the Christian church has done is it says oftentimes that the Old Testament is the Jewish scriptures and the New Testament are the Christian scriptures. It's not true. The Old Testament is a Christian book. It only makes sense in light of the New Testament. Uh, and you see that because there are all these cryptic, strange prophecies that make absolutely no sense, but they're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus makes sense of the Old Testament. He's everywhere in that, in that um, testament. Uh, and so uh, things like um, 
Do you know the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac? Yeah, it's a, pr a pretty graphic story. Who can tell me what happens in that story? That's the right one. So, um, and so God said to Abraham, um, sacrifice your son yep. as a lamb. And, uh, well, and, and he, he went up to the mountain and he, um, and he was about to do it, but like right as he was about to sacrifice him, God said, yeah. So you've got, so on the way up to, uh, Isaac is no fool, and uh, he's carrying the very wood that the, that the offering would be burned on, and he says, but Father, where is, a lamb, where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. And then just, I mean, you can only imagine how awful a situation this is when the son is, is about to be slain by the father, and God stays, Abraham, don't kill your son, and there's a, a ram caught in the thicket. Uh, that story, if just left on its own, is the world's worst story. That's terrible. Right? That's it. So if I read that, I would say, I want nothing to do with that God. I want nothing to do with that God. Uh, and even things like, you know, the Old Testament for us is really hard to take because we think that God is really mean, but the New Testament God is, is really nice. So one of the things that people have a really hard time about is when the Israelites left Egypt and they came into the Promised Land, uh, right as they were crossing the River Jordan, their first big battle was in what city? Remember, they made the walls fall down. Jericho, right. So God gave very specific instructions basically to kill everything and everybody in the city of Jericho except for those who were in Rahab's house and they hung a little red cord out the window so that they would know that. And it didn't matter who was in Rahab's house, uh, whether they were good people or bad people, they were going to be spared. Um, and God gave a command to them to eradicate all of the Canaanites out of Canaan. Now, that's, that's a real hard word, isn't it? It's really hard to, like, how could God do that? Do you know how often the, the Israelites listened to God and did just that? Never. <laughs> they never did it. And what ended up happening was it wasn't a judgment against Canaan, although it was. And let's not fool ourselves. These weren't like really nice people. Uh, these were people who were sacrificing babies, right? So you can read about that elsewhere. And um, these, when they would go in, God, it wasn't a judgment against them so much as it was God's judgment against the Israelites. Because God knew the way that their hearts worked is that they were going to get in with the Canaanites and they were going to be believed like the Canaanites. They were going to enter into pagan worship. And so getting rid of the Canaanites was the only way to keep the Israelites pure. Well, it never happened. And so the Old Testament is all about the Israelites totally messing it up uh, along the way. And even if it was just them, I don't think that they would have remained pure either. Why? Because it was just Israelites out in the middle of the desert, right, when they made the golden calf. Right? They didn't need any help from Canaanites to come up with that. Uh, but you can take the, the redneck out the woods, but you can't take the woods out the redneck. So uh, that's the way that works. So, but you see this momentum in the Old Testament moving into the new of this anxious waiting for one who would come and save God's people. 
I mean, even things like, you know, little things that, that God did for us. Uh, uh, Noah and the ark. Remember, you remember that story. And when God, uh, rele- when uh, the flood's water finally subsided and uh, God made a promise never to flood the earth, what sign did he use to show that, to remind, right? So the rainbow ought to remind us of God's goodness and God's favor to us. But now when I say bow, what do y'all think? Right. Sometimes, you know, like a little, you got a little bow in your hair, you got a rainbow. Uh, that, but anybody in the ancient world, they would never have missed it because it looks like a bow, like a bow and arrow. Yeah. Right? So when the, when the floods came, God's wrath and judgment were aimed at who? The world. But the rainbow is a visual reminder that the bow is now, God's wrath and anger, his battle bow, is now aimed at who? God himself. Or Jonah. Jonah gets swallowed up by the great fish. How many days is he in the belly of the whale? Three days. And then he's spat out upon dry land. Now we think about that and we think, that stinks, literally, right? We don't want to be swallowed. But you know, if it weren't for the whale, if it weren't for the great fish, Jonah would have died. It, was the, it turned out to be that what seemed to be death was the means of his salvation. And three days later, he was spat out of his own tomb. And so the Old Testament, I could go on and on about this, is filled with things that talk about Jesus and those promises are fulfilled. There are a lot of pictures in the Old Testament of this. So temple worship in the Old Testament um, required uh, the blood of different animals for different offerings and sacrifices. Sometimes it didn't require an animal at all. Sometimes it was just a grain offering and thanksgiving, like uh, today's Billy's birthday, grain offering, right? You you would go do that. Uh, But others uh, were for um, sin sometimes, but also to uh, really underline the seriousness of a covenant that you're making with somebody. So one of the things that they would do is if you were making a serious covenant with somebody, you'd go to the temple and you would cut a cow in half, and you would slide it across, and then you would walk through the two halves saying, if I break this covenant, may this happen to me in the same way it happened to this cow. And we've thought about doing that for marriages here at at the Edmund, but but it's a little bit bit messy. So, uh, but the the sacrifices, uh, especially for the atonement of sin, those all point to Jesus, right? Because the temple was constantly sacrificing lots and lots and lots and lots of blood. Uh, But the reason why we don't do that is because Jesus was our once and for all sacrifice. So uh, the New Testament helps explain uh, the Old Testament. Uh, Read the book of Judges. That's a really good book. Uh, Read the book of Judges, and you can hear uh, the story of Jesus without his name being mentioned of taking that which is small and backwards in the world and using it, using that person to save God's people. Right? And then God does the same thing uh, by Jesus being born in Bethlehem and growing up in Nazareth. All right, I'm going to combine the next two. Um, is heaven an actual tangible place? Mm-hmm. And if we're going to live there forever, how is it that we're not going to get bored? Right. <laughs> I know what that question means, because church is boring. I get it. Uh, I get it, because uh, sometimes I get bored too. Um, all right, the first one is heaven a real, is it a tangible place? Yes and no. 
So heaven is real, but it's not real in the sense that a lot of us think it's real. So it's not like you, if you get in a rocket ship and you go far enough into heaven, uh, heaven, you've run into heaven. Right? It's, it, it doesn't work that way. But heaven is a real place. Where it is, I don't know. Uh, but it's, uh, it's real. Uh, it's real. The Bible tells us that it's real. And what uh, a lot of, you know, one of the questions that people might have is, um, well, what happens when you die? I think that's one of them in here. Well, here's the biblical narrative concerning um, death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you're in Jesus, if you have a relationship with Him, when you die, you're going to be with God, right? You're going to be with Him because of what Jesus has done for you. But did you know that heaven is not the final destination? There's actually something after heaven. Uh, and uh, that something is a new world, a new Jerusalem. So if you read Revelation, you might want to start with Judges, uh, but stick with that one. But when you read Revelation, what we find out is that God is going to take this world that we live in and where it's broken down and falling apart and there's injustice, right? There's going to come a day where He's going to remake this world where nobody goes to bed hungry. Nobody ever cries because there's no sadness. Uh, you don't even need the sun because Jesus Himself is so radiant and bright that He will light the entire world. Um, and, and we'll live with Him uh, here. And not just that, but you, know, you see the broken downness of creation uh, all around us. So if you've ever had, you know, you, you've got a plant. Like my house is where orchids go to die. And you know, you have this beautiful, beautiful plant. And after a while, it, it dies. Why? Now you might say because of Andrew, uh, and that's, that's partly true, uh, but, but that's, plants die because of sin. People get cancer because of sin. Uh, we get in fights with our friends and our family and our loved ones because of sin, and there's going to come a day when Jesus gets rid of all of it, gets rid of all of it. Uh, orchids won't die anymore. You're not going to fight with anybody, uh, and there won't be any boredom. There won't, I know as hard as that is to believe. And in fact, we live in a world where I don't think y'all are ever bored. Y'all need to be more bored. You should, you should look forward to that. Um, how many of y'all have electronic devices? Yeah, y'all need to be more bored um, uh, because that's actually where creativity is. But that's on this side. That's on this side of the world uh, when we die. Um, and every, you know, there's, there's nothing that you won't know when you get to heaven. You'll know everything. You'll know everything. And in fact, the relationships that you have in this world with uh, your parents or your spouses, uh, there's no marriage in heaven, and yet your relationship will be better and perfect in heaven. In this world, it pales in comparison, even in those relationships marked by deep and abiding love. All right, you kind of addressed this one already, but the ending of it is um, a little too cute not to read. So, I know someone that is Jewish and doesn't believe in Jesus. Will she go to H-E double hockey sticks? And that was written out literally? H -E that was written. That's yeah. exactly how it was written. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay, so one of the things that we... One of, uh, yeah, I've addressed this a little bit. So, we, we, you and I, we don't get to decide who goes to heaven and who doesn't. We don't get to decide even who becomes a Christian. 
Do you know how many people I've been able to convert? Zero. Now that comes as a shock to you because you think that you can argue somebody into Christianity. And you can't. Uh, the only person, only thing, or that person, is God. Only God can make us uh, have faith uh, in Him by His mercy and His goodness and His grace. And so, um, if I had, and I do have, uh, a lot, you know, a very interesting conversation I had with, uh, a, a, there's a side of our family by marriage that is uh, Jewish. And uh, now some of them more Jewish than, than others. Uh, one of them said that they were Jewish like the Olive Garden is Italian. And, um, uh, but, uh, but one of them uh, is, is uh, very devout and faithful. And uh, I was watching this family scene play out, and it was like a Woody Allen movie. Like, the level of paranoia was not to be believed. I mean, they were just kind of all over the place. And I said to uh, Evan, I said, Evan, I, I mean, I hate to stereotype it. This is like a Woody Allen movie. I mean, everybody seems so paranoid. And uh, totally changing the subject, he said, well, wouldn't, wouldn't you be paranoid too? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if you know that there's not been any satisfaction for your sins since 70 A.D., when Titus's armies destroyed the temple, wouldn't you be a little bit paranoid as well? And I was really taken back by that observation. And so that was a wonderful opportunity for me to say to Evan, well, actually, I've got really good news for you, uh, that there has been a sacrifice once and for all, and that there is a temple, and his name is Jesus. Uh, and, and, and all of that has been fulfilled. And so there are, there are plenty of opportunities. I mean, who were the first Christians? Jews, right? They were Jewish. They're, you know, God's chosen people. That He could have picked any people group that he wanted, but he picked them when he called Abram out of Ur and, and then brought them to the land of promise. And even when they went down to Egypt and then back, he delivered them back. Uh, so there's not... Um, you know, I think that, that we ought to have a very special place in our heart for people of the Jewish faith. Uh, but I wouldn't, anybody, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. All right. Um, let's see here. After I get confirmed, does my faith grow? I hope so. Uh, but let's talk about faith for a minute. A lot of people think that faith is something that you conjure up. Like, I am going to, I have faith today that I'm going to just smoke my math test. I have faith today that we're going to win our soccer match. Well, that makes it sound like faith is something that you conjure up within you, right? If I just feel faith a little bit more, uh, my things are going to be okay. But it turns out in the Bible that faith is something that's given to you by God. God, get, faith is a gift that is instilled in your heart that causes you to be able to confess Jesus as Lord, to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That act of faith is enabled. Uh, but, so it turns out God saves you before you even know you're saved. Isn't that funny? Right? His, his salvation brought about in your life enables you to repent, to turn away from the world and your own desires, and, and to point yourself toward, uh, toward God. So if there's any growth, the growth is in falling more and more in love with Jesus and being more and more moved 
by what he's done for you. And so if there's any Christian growth, it's not that you're getting better and better. It's not that you're getting nicer and nicer. I think it's every single day you realize just how much more you need Jesus. You actually become more aware of your own sinfulness and your own inability to do what you want to do and to please God and to love your family and to love your neighbor. Uh, And so uh, the growth is you learn more about yourself, uh, but you become more grateful for what Jesus has done for you in loving you. All right, this one ties in. Um, Does God block you out if you have doubts in your mind? No, absolutely not. I mean, we, we heard this in John chapter 10, even this morning, uh, where Jesus says, um, I have my sheep, the Father has given them to me, they're in my hand, and no one can snatch them out. So if you're in Jesus, you're in, right? There's, there's no getting you out. And so there, but look, doubt is perfectly, I doubt things often, right? I mean, I, I often, um, you know, it's, sometimes it almost seems too good to be true, um, you know, I was reading um, about uh, hell uh, the other day, and uh, just a little picker-upper, uh, and, uh, and the, the English translation of the word hell, and, and how little it's actually used in the New Testament. And, uh, and, you know, I began to think about how we translated that word, and whether or not we were putting words into Jesus' mouth, because I was looking at a classic scholar writing about this. And I had to shake myself, and I actually went and opened up my Greek New Testament and started reading and realized, no, we've got it right. We've got it right. But there, a little seed of doubt had been planted in my mind. Now, that doesn't, and all doubt is not bad. So if you think that my doubt is somehow really terrible, and again, I've already said this, all these questions that y'all are asking, your parents ask the same things, but they just don't ask, right? They just don't ask. And, uh, and that's, that's why we're, we're doing this. And, um, and so doubt is, is a natural part of our lives because of our, our brokenness and because we are prone to doubt. Uh, so don't worry about doubt that much. But maybe you've got a friend who's a, who's a, a believer uh, in the Lord Jesus that you can confide in. And you can say things like, Sometimes I feel like I don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Or sometimes I wonder if Jesus was actually raised from the dead. Those are questions. If you came to me in my, my study, I wouldn't look at you and say, sinner. You know, I, I, would, I would just say, that's, I get it. I totally get uh, the doubt. And so talk to people about it. Talk to your mom and dad about it uh, because those things are important. But remember, your salvation is because of what God has done not because of what you've done. So if you can't earn your salvation, that means you can't unearn it either, right? If you didn't earn it in the first place, you can't, you can't unearn it because it's a gift. Let's see. All right. What do you do if there's something in the Bible that you don't like? Just skip over it. Uh, <laughs> Look, this is, uh, you all might as well get used to this one because, look, you're going to read a lot of things in the Bible that you don't like, and that's, that's normal. Um, you know, Mark Twain, have you all had to read Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer yet? Some of you? Yeah. So uh, Mark Twain, who wrote that, uh, once said about the Bible, he said, 
It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. Uh, and that's just it. The Bible speaks with a lot of clarity on certain issues. And, uh, but just because we don't like it doesn't... Uh, you can disagree with it all you want. Uh, however, that doesn't change God's Word to us. And so there are a lot of things that you're going to have to grapple with. Like, there are a lot of things I don't like about God's Word. My life, I think, would be more comfortable if God hadn't said certain things. Uh, but He did say them, and He said them for a purpose. And so my job, and even your job, is to put forth God's Word and let it do its work uh, rather than trying to make an apology for God. I mean, a lot of people try to explain God away uh, in a way that is very unhelpful and undermines His Word and, and even undermines Him. And so um, yeah, I like getting into the hard stuff in the Bible. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, our generation finds some things hard that the next generation won't. And previous generations have found things hard that we don't, and vice versa. And so there are going to be some really hard things that, that are going to come upon you in the Scripture. And if it's an issue of you not understanding, seek somebody out. But also have the freedom to say, look, um, it says here that Jesus said, or Paul said, or John said. I think that that's ridiculous uh, that they said that, and I, I can't believe it. Uh, let's talk about that, right? I, C.H. Spurgeon, who was a wonderful preacher in London in the late eight, mid to late 1800s, um, was once asked why he didn't preach on the authority of the Bible more. There was a growing move in Germany to undermine the uh, scriptures through academic um, interpretation. And, um, and a parishioner wanted Spurgeon to spend more time talking about the authority of the word and making an apology for it and explaining things, you know. And Spurgeon said, that's like trying to defend a lion. He said, when you, you don't defend a lion, you just open the cage and let the lion do its work. And so our job is to open the cage, to open the word, and, and to read together uh, what God uh, would say to us. And when we find ourselves struggling with things, I, I pray a wonderful little prayer that uh, Peter prayed, uh, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. All right. Um, if Jesus offers forgiveness to everyone, uh -huh. what about somebody like Hitler who killed six million people? Oh, yeah. So all of a sudden, nobody likes the idea of hell until we talk about Adolf Hitler. And then all of a sudden, we're like, okay, let's bring that one back. Um, yeah. Uh, so where heaven is a real place, hell is a real place, too, where God's justice is, is executed. And let me say this about hell. Nobody is in hell who doesn't want to be there. Nobody is in hell who doesn't want to be there, right? So at the end of the day, as I mentioned a little bit earlier before, no one's going to say, oh, no, I want that option, right? They're, they're going to actually go where they want to go. Uh, one, of the, um, one of the scariest ways in which God manifests his wrath and judgment against the world is that he gives us over to ourselves. He gives us what we want, All right? So we think of wrath being fire from above and Sodom and Gomorrah and things like that. But actually, one of the scariest ways in which God's wrath is manifested is He lets us have our way and, and to make our own choices apart from Him. And so, you know, where most of us have a hard time believing that anybody that we know could choose hell, um, we don't have a hard time thinking of Adolf Hitler being in hell. Um, 
and I, I'm not willing to put uh, anybody in heaven or, or hell. Uh, but again, God's justice will be will be executed uh, at the end, and um, and people will have to take make an account uh, for what they've done. But I'll also say this: uh, you can be the worst person on the face of the earth. Uh, and still be forgiven by Jesus Christ. You can do dastardly and terrible things, and our culture hates that. They really don't like that. So there's a woman several years ago on death row in Texas who, um, who had committed a heinous murder, it was a double murder, and she was going to be executed, and she became a Christian while she was in prison and had a really remarkable ministry while she was there. And uh, People really said terrible and awful and nasty things about her uh, because they thought, you know, who, who's, you know, she's a murderer. You know, how could she become a Christian? And if she thinks that she can just become a Christian and everything be forgiven and be fine, she's got another thing coming. Well, that's the nature of Christianity, isn't it? Um, you don't get uh, what you deserve. But there's a story that a lady named Becky Pippert tells, and I won't tell the whole details of the story, uh, but there was a woman she had heard Becky Pippert speak and waited around after the conference to speak with her. And she had done what she thought was this heinous, awful thing. And she went to Becky Pippert and confessed it and said, I've done this. How could God ever love me and forgive me? And Becky Pippert said, oh, you've done much worse than that. You murdered Jesus. And that's, that's all of us. So when people ask, who killed Jesus? I killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. Uh, our sin uh, killed Jesus. And so uh, there's, there's no sort of grading on the curve of, well, really bad people in our estimation go down this way, and really good people in our estimation go this way, uh, but everything will be made known. And that's why I, you know, the Bible uses this language of covering, of that all of our sins will be blotted out by the blood of Jesus so that God can no longer see them. Right? But those who think that they can get into heaven on their own strength, God will allow them to present their case. This is why I ought to get into heaven. Uh, and it's never going to be enough. All right, why do we not see big miracles the way we do in the Bible today? Okay, those miracles still happen. Uh, they do still happen. I'm a believer in that, and I've witnessed some of them. Now, I've never witnessed anybody uh, being raised uh, from the dead, uh, but I still think that that's a possibility. What I will say is that during the time that the Bible was being written by the apostles under the, all, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, in order to further the witness of the church, the Holy Spirit was doing some crazy supernatural things, Right? And I think that that was to allow the apostles to have the testimony and to do what they are doing. Uh, but now that the canon of the scriptures is closed, I do think that the, the, the gifts are less frequent and uh, less necessary than they were before, except in areas of the world where the gospel has never gone. You actually do see those gifts manifested uh, in, in the life of, of that church. Um, but Jesus said it before when it comes to miracles. Uh, you know, miracles don't make anybody a Christian. In fact, uh, Moses uh, could come down and tell you that I'm the Christ and you still are not going to listen. Uh, so if you're looking for a sign, if you're looking for a miracle from Jesus, 
That's the wrong way, the wrong way about it. But you count everything joy uh, that the Lord gives you. And even things that you may not see as a miracle in your own life, in hindsight, you're going to look back and you're going to realize that was a miracle. Right? I mean, it may be that the person you take to the ninth grade homecoming dance is going to become your spouse. And you will thank God, I hope, that that, 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 that happened. Uh, but you're also uh, going to look back and see where God has allowed, allowed you to dodge a bullet. Uh, so I, those miracles happen, but not in the way that a lot of us think they do. Or it may be a miracle that they don't turn out to be your, your spouse. Right. Yeah. I didn't want to say that. I, mean, I didn't want to say that. I went ahead. All right. Um, this may be the last one we have time for. Mm-hmm. Where, did you go, where did the people go who died before Jesus was around? Uh, the Old Testament talks about being in the bosom of Abraham, and Jesus tells a story about Lazarus and Dives. Do you all remember that story? That's a pretty intense one, uh, where um, there is uh, something like uh, heaven. Um, in the, there's an understanding in the Old Testament of something like heaven. There's also a concept of Sheol, of a place of the dead. And so I do, there's definitely no teaching in the Old Testament that before Jesus, everybody who died went to hell. That's not, that's not in there. And so there's a land of rest. There's a, there's a place of rest for the righteous. Um, uh, and, and that's where people went uh, before Jesus. Because remember, even, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't approach, even though, so Abraham, let's talk about him. Paul talks about this. Uh, Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so Abraham, even though he never laid eyes on Jesus Christ, believed on Jesus. Right? You can read Paul about that. You can read the Old Testament about that. Uh, and so, but to be in the presence of God the Father, apart from the mediating person of Jesus Christ, is an impossibility. Because what happens, especially, this is in the Old Testament, what happens when you're in the presence of God? And what would happen if you looked on God's face? You'd die. <laughs> you, you would die. Um, and so that's why Mo- he revealed himself as a, in a burning bush to Moses. And even then he reflected God's glory. Uh, where those who die in Jesus, or even when he comes back, we will be able to behold God the Father and walk in his presence. Why? Because of Jesus, right? Because of Jesus. And so there is a, a thought in the church that um, after, you know, Jesus dies on a Friday. Well, what was he doing on Saturday? Um, there's a teaching in the church that that's when he went down to Sheol and ransomed the Old Testament saints and the people that lived before him, and he brought them up into the presence of God the Father. All right, well, thank you, Dean Pearson. Man, um, lightweight questions this year, y'all. Hey, um, and can I say one more thing? Yes. Um, if y'all have any more questions, I mean, I know we didn't get to get to all of them. Please ask Cameron, Katie, Sarah, myself, or any of your table leaders. I mean, I know there's a lot more going in, going on in those heads than y'all let on. So um, if you have any other questions, feel free to ask Let me us. pray for y'all before yeah. we leave. Uh, Lord, we pray for boldness and courage for these sixth graders, Lord, that as they stand and confirm their faith in the Lord Jesus, that you would sustain them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they would know you, love you, and serve you all the days of their life. Lord, where there is doubt, that you would enter in and uh, encourage them uh, in their faith. Reveal yourself to them mightily, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, thanks, Palmer.